welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 2, Episode 12, Family Matter. The original air date for this episode was January 12th, 1987. It was directed by Alexander Singer. This is actually his last MacGyver episode. Um, He had done Prodigal, Deathlock, and Final Approach before today. Um, And this was written by uh, Paul A. Magistretti. And this is his last IMDb credit um, out of anything he's done. It's not a long page. It's all writing credits. But this is the last thing that he wrote, apparently. Or at least that he was credited on. Um, So why don't we get into the brief description of the episode? Oh, in this episode... Uh, MacGyver is actually going in with Pete to help Pete uh, rescue his family who's being held hostage by some unknown men. Right. And uh, why don't we go a little bit further in depth? Yeah. Uh, in, uh, well, we kind of open like with like a lot of uh, stock footage. I thought it was going to be the Everglades, but I guess it's supposed to be Louisiana. Like yeah. Louisiana Bayou kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But it seems I, – I don't know I, – I wouldn't be able to – I don't know if I'd be able to identify the difference. Like if someone says, this is Bayou, this is Everglades. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, we just kind of come across these two archaeologists digging around, uh, not very cautiously. Like she's just digging with a garden trowel. Yeah, it's not 100% clear right away that these are, this is like mother and son. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, she's got pieces of like a clay pot that she found. Yeah, yeah. And it, it always bothers me when they're like brushing this stuff up in the field instead of just like bagging it up safely to go take care of it in a laboratory in like a sterile mm-hmm. environment we'll see it again in pirates where like they're just de- dealing with this supposedly hidden treasure by like smashing it with a hammer to open it mm-hmm. and it's just like oh just don't touch this stuff while you're out here just find it here and yeah. then take it somewhere to take care of it but um they're they're dealing with it looks like native american artifacts mm-hmm. um that they found uh and uh they have like a kind of a casual conversation about pete Right. Where Connie, uh, his wife, is... Ex-wife. Ex-wife, sorry. Very important. Uh, as, as we'll come to be reminded by her son. Yes. You the, divorced the, him, remember? Yeah, the exposition here is very thick. It's <laughs> just going off on, well, he didn't show up to my thing, and then that's why you divorced him, remember? And it's like, okay. Now, yeah. now we know what happened, thanks mm-hmm. to this very subtle backstory injection from uh, uh, Rick Astley. Yeah, that, that, that haircut, though, was amazing. And it sustains... Throughout the humidity and this long, uh, long-standing, yeah, it's torture. very impressive. The 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 character here that's that we're led to believe is Pete's son, although he bears no resemblance to Pete yeah, at yeah. all, um, is played by Scott Coffey, who um, is the he plays Adams in Ferris Bueller, who's the first name that Ben Stein calls on his mm-hmm. way to Bueller Bueller, and uh, he also has been in a few David Lynch movies, uh, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, and Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they're digging around and examining the clay pot. A group of uh, men in like army fatigues and camo, like they put on like camouflage kind of masks, and they're talking about just getting ready to take them hostage, and they just kind of like swarm up on them, like yeah. right away. I mean, there's no it's not covert or anything, mm-hmm. and and they're all wearing masks, which we said is kind of weird at first, but I guess it makes sense because they are vid- being videotaped. Yeah, they want to they want to keep their identity a secret 
in the case of like this videotape that they're taking to prove that they have hostages, mm -hmm. but all three of them are wearing masks, and one of them is behind the camera. Yeah. Which he should he wouldn't even need a mask. Yeah, because because uh, it, it's not like they're trying to hide their identity from them because they just as take soon the as the video's done, they take the masks off. Yeah, but we get this really great transition from the what it appears to be on camera for the audience's sake is actually on camera for the hostage tape. Right. And it just transitions from that image to the TV in Pete Thornton's office. Yeah. And, and uh, we get maybe the worst line read from Dana Elkar yeah, so far. It, it, it seems pretty, like, out of like out of his mindset. Like, he wasn't in character yet. Yeah, and, and he gets there a couple sentences later, even. Mm -hmm. But it's just the first, the first line out of him. He's just like, oh, they've got my family. And it's all because of me, I'm sure of that. Or yeah. something like that. And it's just like, the way he delivers it is just like, you're literally reading that off the page, and they just didn't have time for a take two. Mm, and and you can be when he says you can be sure of that. It's like you are sure of that. You have a ransom note. Yeah, they that told says you that. You. We can be certain of it because we've been given every indication. Yeah. Uh, he, Pete is being obviously he's they want Pete, and they're using his family as leverage, and they want him to fly into Louisiana and, alone. Yeah, and meet them at some kind of a halfway abandoned crossroad out in the middle of the Bayou Country. Right. And they assume that this guy that owns a think tank that commonly goes on like international rescue missions mm -hmm. would totally commit to their demand of not bringing anyone along right. or having anyone track them. Yeah, and just, I mean, I guess they're not familiar with previous Phoenix Foundation cases like Pris Prisoner of Conscious. I guess not. Uh, yeah. Where Pete goes in alone and still has MacGyver coming with him anyway. Yeah, against his will even. Yeah. <laughs> Mac is going to fly into Louisiana first. Right. He, he's going to like hop on an earlier flight and get there before Pete is so he can get himself set up to follow him. But they obviously came up with a plan at least to, to, to fashion Pete with the tracking watch. Right. So he, like they, even though in the scene MacGyver's leaving yeah. and you assume that he's leaving to get on the plane, they must have stopped, gotten back together, yeah. <laughs> come up with a plan, and then left. Yeah, and then also MacGyver left like maybe a whole day before Pete did. Mm-hmm. Which is like, Pete, why are you taking this long to get down there to save your family, first of all? Mm -hmm. But second of all, MacGyver, why, why instead of like preparing for the mission, are you going around collecting like recipes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all stuff that comes out later from this yeah. episode. But we're back at the cabin uh, where Connie and Michael are being held hostage. Right. And we're finally introduced to who's holding them hostage, which is this man named Frank Bonner. Right. And uh, he basically, all, all we know at this point is that he wants Pete. Yeah. He's not making it clear what his personal vendetta mm -hmm. is, but um, it's going to come up here. Mm -hmm. But so we see MacGyver. Um, he's flown in ahead of time and apparently rented a motorcycle. Yeah. Or, I'm, or it's or not purchased, clear. Purchased Maybe purchased a motorcycle with Phoenix Foundation funds. And uh, he has this tracking system attached to the handlebars. And he's wearing the same leather jacket. It looks like the same leather mm -hmm. jacket from the flashback that starts uh, Flame's End. Yeah, and the, and the tracking device is super simplistic. It's just you know, it's just cardinal directions. It, it, well, right. there's there's eight arrows. Yeah, that's at true. least. Yeah, uh, and I guess what would it be the semi cardinal directions? I don't know. Is there a term for the between those the, 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 the northeast the northwest directions? and uh, semi cardinal? I think is or hemi or demi, whatever <laughs> you. Those all mean the same thing. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> um. But yeah, and the weird thing about this tracking device, I mean, we'll we'll get to it more in depth, but it seems to not track the actual direction that the beacon is in, but mm -hmm. the direction that the beacon is moving. Which 
which is strange. And much less useful. Yeah, I mean, mean, it it is useful information, but in this particular case, I think it would be more useful to know where they are, not where they're going. Yeah. Or what direction. Because at a certain point, that information is useless. If you don't Mm -hmm. know how fast they're moving, then it's irrelevant what direction it's moving in. Now we move to Pete waiting on the crossroads for his ride to pick him up. Yeah, he's dropped off by a cab, and then immediately another car comes down the road. Yeah. And uh, Pete triggers his watch, the tracking device on his watch. Which he should have done in the cab or before the car got there. Or just, yeah, like, or just as soon as they were in the area. Yeah, there's no reason for him to conspicuously do it right in front Mm -hmm. of them. The only reasoning behind it for me was, like, maybe when it's actually sending off a tracking signal, it would affect the battery life. Mm, And so he had to wait as long as possible. But a watch battery lasts a really long time. Yeah. But a watch battery trans- transmitting a radio signal? Yeah. This is the 80s. I mean, technology is... Maybe. ...is is not so great. Um, but so, you know, Pete gets in the car, and there's, they have three guys to to keep an eye on Pete. Yeah. Which seems kind of excessive. Maybe they just know he's a heavy hitter. Yeah, that's true. They'll keep their bases covered. <laughs> Baseball references. Right. <laughs> uh, so MacGyver starts following... Uh, following the car on his motorcycle but then he kind of comes up with this weird kind of notion of following them ahead of them which i think is a good is a good option but not when you're on these kinds of roads yeah it's also not necessary to have a motorcycle like you could have just gotten a more discreet vehicle Mm -hmm. a motorcycle is specifically much louder than a car it's going to give you away a lot easier but because he's paranoid about them realizing this motorcycle has been following them, he decides, oh, well, a good way to follow a person is to not actually follow them. And since I have this tracking device, Mm -hmm. I can move ahead of them and still know which direction they're going. So he just basically goes around the car and heads off down the road, which is actually a point I brought up earlier in this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, In my uh, uh, short-lived stalking advice column, (laughs) um, I, I advised our listeners, if they're ever trying to follow a person, that you should just go in front of them and just keep an eye on their signals if you can. Because mm-hmm. um, they'll never suspect it. Yeah, but on the on this kind of road where there's no one else around, and the the same vehicle just stays in front of you, it's yeah. kind of suspicious. That's why he's not just staying in front of them. He goes way yeah, down yeah, the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is also good too, because I mean, you know, the the way the signals are moving, you know, like you know, it's like you got a picture, like it's like a circle around the car. Yeah. And it's better to be on the leading end of the circle, you know, like where yeah. it's moving closer to you than than getting the signal to drain away. Yeah. So the the frequency of the beeps indicates the distance of the car? I thought it was indicating how fast. Maybe that's what it is. Um, or, you know, it could, yeah, it could be the distance. Well, it should have been going haywire when he was driving past the car, though. Yeah. And it, I don't think it was. It, it's By fair. the way, this thing is beeping the entire time it's on. Exactly. <laughs> totally unnecessary. Uh, this, this is basically the worst tracking device ever made. Yeah. Um, but as MacGyver goes ahead, he, he finds a, another car that's empty. Yeah. And he assumes that they're going to do some kind of vehicle transfer. He pulls off into the bushes and uh, kind of hides to uh, watch how things play out. Yeah. And it goes exactly what we think. They get, they get out of the car. But now not only are they changing vehicles, but they're asking Pete to remove all of his clothing. Right. And uh, including the watch. So they, they especially do not trust Pete. Now, do they just leave the clothes there on the ground, or do they leave um, them in the other car? Um, he says to put them in the car and burn them. You can keep, you can keep the money, 
put them in the car and then burn them. Yeah, I don't so know. So the car is going to burn too? That's what I'm I'm assuming. I'm assuming they're getting rid of all <laughs> the tracks. All right. Um, but while Pete is changing, uh, MacGyver like gets close and hides underneath the car and is waiting for the watch. And Pete kind of sees him casually like reaching for the watch underneath the car. So he realizes that he needs to stall. So Pete just starts being really obnoxious with his questions. It's like, yeah. So, uh, where are we going? What's the hurry? It's like, oh, how do you know I'm not wired? Maybe I got radioactive toenails. Like, he's just saying anything that's coming to his mind. Yeah. And he's starting to really tick off the the, the, the henchmen. And they, they both start snapping at each other. And at one mm-hmm. point, Pete offers to just full-on take both of them on completely naked. <laughs> which yeah. is weird. So, MacGyver gets the whole of the watch and then uh, attaches it to, like, some kind of... The new car. Yeah, he attaches yeah. the new car. Some line underneath it. It, it, yeah. it looked like an electrical conduit line. Uh, and so now he can follow the new car with Pete in his new new clothes. Which I again, feel like uh, I'm surprised the bad guys didn't notice that he ditched the watch. Like, oh, we saw you push a button on your watch when you were getting into the car. Yeah. Where's that watch? Because it should go in the car with all these clothes. Exactly. Like... Like they they clearly know that he has it now. Yeah, I'm sure he probably checked it more than once. Yeah, and uh, make sure it's working. Oh my god. Yeah, and uh, you know they said they were gonna burn because they, they said uh, all his papers and personal effects. They said they were gonna burn except for the money. I don't know why he money. brought so many papers and personal effects. Well, I guess you know ID. You need your ID to get on a plane. Yeah, Person but then leave his... that stuff at the hotel afterward. That's true. That's true. But he probably came right there. He didn't Maybe. have time to. He, he went window shopping. He didn't have time. He wasted all of his time uh, hanging out at, at the Phoenix Foundation for another 24 hours <laughs> after for, the demand. Yeah, waiting for MacGyver to get there. So now MacGyver's following the new car. And uh, and then they decide to stop and make another vehicle transfer right. to boat. Well, yeah, it's, they, they're just getting out onto a path that leads down to a lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other henchmen that was like waiting there on the road for them mm-hmm. gets in the car and drives it the opposite direction. Right. So now we, we've at least seen a total of four different people working for Frank. Right. Um, and there's going to be more. Yeah, we're about to meet the fifth. <laughs> uh, so MacGyver's driving along, and he's now seeing that the, the radio signals are coming back towards him. Like, yeah, he's looking at the, the semi-cardinal directions, and he sees an arrow pointing down, mm-hmm. which this is how we're, what we're basing the fact that it tells you what direction the tracker is moving, not... right which direction it's in because if it were pointed at the tracker it would be pointed up but this exactly. arrow is pointed down implying it's headed directly at mm-hmm. you and it's beeping really fast which is either because the car is moving really quickly or because it's getting closer and closer right. to him and so he veers off the side of the road just in time to avoid getting in a head-on collision with this car and i think that this is before gps gps does not exist yet i mean is that true i don't know when I, gps was invented i, I, I gps um what year did Nothing But Trouble come out? That was in the 90s, right? Nothing But, like, the Dan Aykroyd? Yeah. Um, maybe late 80s, early 90s. I think early 90s. Because GPS, that car's GPS wasn't actually GPS either, because GPS still hadn't been invented yet. Oh, okay. That, that actually was called, what's called Dead Reckoning. It just it uses your car's mileage. Like, says, oh, you've driven four miles. You should be at this point now. Oh, okay. They had, like, the map data in the car. Interesting. Um, but, you know, it just says, you've driven four miles, you should see this road. Did you know that uh, GPS is provided by the U.S. Air Force? That's it. I did not know that. And it's actually provided free to the entire world. Right. That I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but well, the point, the reason I brought this up sure, was yeah, yeah. because uh, 
if if his watch was like it, it it's almost indicating that this is some kind of global positioning device because it can tell you like the direction that he's going like on the surface of the earth like right yeah um but anyway macgyver sees it coming toward him and so he pulls off to the side of the road and sees that the car is going with just a driver which I don't know if he could have even seen that. He's yeah, so far was... off the road, but he's just like, oh, there's only one person in the car, so they dropped mm-hmm. everyone off somewhere. I think he could also probably just safely assume that they wouldn't just immediately drive back the other way. Yeah. Um, so when Pete is getting walked down to this lake or river yeah. or whatever it is, yeah. um, the bayou, um, there's a guy fishing down on a pier with mm. two boats. And, of course, there's two boats because they know they, they're going to need one to sell to the guy trailing them. Yeah. Um, but so they get uh, Pete into a boat. Pete tries to start a conversation with the guy fishing, and then mm-hmm. one of the henchmen just says, "Shut up! Don't talk to him." Yeah, basically. Yeah. So then they get in the boat and head off down the down the river. And then Mac shows up uh, at the same place, and he somehow has figured out, "Oh, they must have gotten off the road right, right. here." Well, he 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 said that he was going to estimate based on how long it took the car to turn around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like you know, he would just kind of have uh, make an assumption that this is where they must have. Or the area, the only area that makes sense. They could sense. have dropped them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he starts trying to get a conversation going with this uh, Cajun kind of fisherman. Yeah. And the guy's just kind of being a little obstinate and uh, until MacGyver like, starts talking about fishing and it kind of loosens him up. Yeah. But this guy's like accent is... Very forced. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost offensive. Something this bayou runs straight up for miles. They should have just had Jim Cummings come and dub over him. Yeah, I mean, right? That would have I been mean, great. For people who don't know, we're referencing uh, Princess and the Frog. Ooh, I'm a Cajun, bro. Born and bred in the bayou. Y'all must be new around here, huh? But he's done that voice in other things, too. And I feel like... And he, he also... Um, he's Cajun as the voice of uh, Leatherhead on the Ninja Turtles. That's true, yes. He does a lot of really great Cajun characters. Yeah. This sewer is some kind of crazy place. Them turtles could be anywhere. But yeah, so then Matt comes down to talk to him. They sort of strike up a fishing-based friendship, mm-hmm. and then they move forward with like, oh, well, can I borrow your boat? And, and the mm-hmm. guy admits he did see Pete come through earlier, and he didn't look happy. Right. And essentially he sells this boat to MacGyver because it's a piece of crap anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, and the guy's, the, uh, the character is, is called, introduces himself as Obadiah Moss. Right. Which apparently is his real name. Because uh, even they the call henchmen, him Obadiah later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, he gets he gets gives MacGyver the boat. MacGyver drives off, and then immediately, like Obadiah, like takes his like old fishing tackle box, and underneath is like a brand new walkie-talkie, and he calls it in, and his accent is completely gone. Right. Which now makes sense. But somehow accent... he can pull off a regular speaking accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does uh, MacGyver ever realize that that guy double crossed him? I don't think he does. Uh, he does. He, he in 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 like some expositional. Well, dialogue. he yeah, he suspects later moving down the river, like maybe I shouldn't trust everybody I run into. Well, he says that um, he says that Obadiah said that he makes his own flies for fly fishing, but MacGyver says the flies that he had in his hat were all store bought. Oh, okay. So immediately he doesn't suspect. He suspects that he's a liar at right. least, and um, and then the fact that uh, that. He didn't want to give up information, but then he was so suddenly quick. very quickly turned his mind on. Yeah, and that he told him exactly where to go and how to get there and how long it would take and what to look for is like it, it didn't sit well with MacGyver. Yeah, and so that's when he MacGyver like starts creating a dummy version of himself with <laughs> yeah using uh, Grandpa Harry's um, 
school of dummy making. Yeah, it's it's anything. It's just as bad as the dummies in in Target MacGyver. Yeah, it's a it's basically an oar from the boat mm-hmm. with a crappily painted face on it. it, it and it's wearing his motorcycle jacket and like a hoodie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, the the face looks like Plank from Ed Ed and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> It's, the whole thing looks like a plank from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Uh, yeah, he just like ties the arms onto on the sleeves of the coat. Onto yeah, I'll, the I'll give him this. At least this one had limbs. It's not like the backpack <laughs> yeah. that Harry pretends looks like a person in Target MacGyver. Just throws it out in front of the car. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't even slow him down. They just crash right into it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, MacGyver like, kind of just sets this boat adrift. Um, like the engine running like real slow, as he, as he realizes he's coming up on this cabin. Right. Yeah. Because like uh, Obadiah told him to look for a tire. A tire nailed to a, a plant tree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also says that this is the only dry land that he's where he's heading is the only dry land in sixty miles. Yeah. And they also make the point later. I think the henchmen say something like, "There's there's no way out," or there's. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, implying that they're on an island in the middle of the bayou, which yeah. doesn't seem to be the case. Also, there you wouldn't build a house on an island in the middle right. of the bayou. Like that's not that wouldn't make sense. Frank would. Frank would. Um, I don't know if we mentioned um, that Frank was the entire reason that that Connie and Michael were there to begin with. Right. That he was the one funding their archaeological. He he was their John Hammond. Yes. To, to their. To their, because uh, she's even dressed like you mentioned that she's dressed she's, like Ellie. She's, yeah, she's in an Ellie Sadler costume. <laughs> that uh, this is pre Ellie Sadler, and then we were making the point that Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs has the post yeah. Ellie Sadler <laughs> Ellie Sadler costume. At this point, while MacGyver's kind of rigging up this boat, uh, Pete is then uh, reunited with his family. Right. So uh, you know they get to like say hellos and. He hugs Connie and Michael. Michael even give offers him a handshake, yeah. which I feel is like okay, you know, he's being. He's not a total jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, Later he becomes one again, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Frank is like basically you know, kind of comes in and lets. Uh, so Pete is now aware of what, at least somewhat aware of what's going on. Right. Because he knows that Frank's family was killed and that Frank disappeared, and. So he he's starting to connect the dots. He doesn't quite know all the grievances yet. Yeah. But he he realizes that that something's going on, and uh, Frank basically teases that he knows about MacGyver and that MacGyver's about to be taken care of. Yeah. So while MacGyver's following the boat on foot, and swimming through that water sometimes too, which made me nervous this whole episode, because I thought at any moment an alligator was gonna come up and bite someone. Because they show stock footage of alligators. Yeah, in the very beginning when they're establishing this location for the episode, they show a bunch of alligators in the bayou and yeah. stuff like that, but then they never come back to it. Yeah, like one guy's like leaning over the bo- side of the boat while they're cruising down. Yeah. MacGyver's just like treading through the water. I was like, oh man, no. I, yeah. would, I would never, ever do that. Um, so while MacGyver's uh, following the boat, some of the goons, like they grab like a small like RPG rocket launcher kind of device and uh blow up the boat they just see it coming they see the they don't even see the dummy which actually kind of is upsetting to you me. can see it a little bit in shadow the, the yeah. whole for some reason suddenly the windshield of the boat is completely frosted over yeah so it's completely like opaque mm-hmm. and then they fire on it and uh and it's a pretty cool explosion yeah yeah of the boat just um, going up they even call it obadiah's boat oh yeah so it actually was his boat yeah <laughs> that's they're all that's obadiah's boat it's like 
That's his boat? <laughs> Who is this guy? I don't, I'm starting to wonder if Obadiah even works for them or if he's just some local some local hire. Well, but that's why I wonder, like, just because they blew up the boat doesn't mean that Obadiah was, like, betraying MacGyver. Like, what if the bad guys just noticed the boat coming and fired on it? Like, yeah. well, MacGyver would... doesn't know for sure that that guy was a bad guy, and he yeah. never bothers to return the boat if he was borrowing it. Well, yeah, yeah, he didn't go back to Obadiah. Yeah. But, yeah, so, the, um, oh, yeah, when Obadiah t- reports in, Frank tells him to sh- come on down. Yeah. Which, how is he going to do that? He doesn't have a boat. Yeah. And he also doesn't come down. Yeah. We don't see him again for the whole rest of the episode. Because <laughs> Frank signs off the radio. And I'm sure Obadiah is just sitting there on the, on the, on the coast. Yeah, he of... just looks over at the dock with no boats and he's just like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to keep fishing. Yeah, because he's got no car and no boat. Yeah. I guess he's got MacGyver's motorcycle, at the very least. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Unless Mac brought the keys with him. <laughs> oh, dick move, MacGyver. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he traded on the motorcycle for the boat. That's what I was thinking. That would make sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That would have pl- been a funny bit to throw that in there. Just yeah. to like, like, well, she don't run too good. And he's like, hey, you want a motorcycle? <laughs> he just throws in the keys as he's floating away. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the boat's blown up. And, uh, you know, Frank is kind of like, basically like kind of gloating over Pete. They, oh, yeah, my guy was dead now. And uh, something to think about. And uh, we kind of close the reveal of what Frank wants from Pete. Right. Is that Frank blames Pete for the death of his his wife and son, Frank's But wife the way he phrases it, he just says, Pete killed my wife and child, or yeah. my wife and son. And then it's just like, oh, shoot, is this where we find out that Pete's secretly a serial killer? And, mm-hmm. and But he's changed his life, so we should just forgive him for his, for his sins. But no, the guy is... Um, He's basically a, a mourning parent who made a bad decision that got his family killed and so can't accept it. And yeah. so he's basically looking for people to pin it on. Exactly. Um, and you were pointing out that the story that he kind of reveals yeah. here. No, go ahead. Say okay. <laughs> sorry. No, I, was, sorry. I was so excited. Well, about it's it's your point. point. <laughs> so you should, you should say it. Um, well, uh, the setup for this character of Frank uh, where his – we get it a little bit in dialogue later on, but uh, he was a government agent. I'm assuming that this is during the DXS years. Yeah. Because he said he hasn't seen him for like seven years. Yeah. So uh, it's only been a year since they left DXS. Yeah. Not even. So I'm assuming yeah that this is during the DXS time, and that they were in some kind of hot zone, and but it was safe enough at the point where some agents were bringing their families in, like. And it's not clear if Pete specifically advised him to bring his family out or just assured him that it was a stable situation, but anyway. Because he said a couple other agents did it, too. Yeah. This was in Yemen? Um, I I can't... They they said that there was a tribal war. Yeah. But it was definitely in the Middle East, wherever it was. I I can't... I actually don't remember the, the, the country. Three and a half years ago in Yemen... I just feel like I, you would need to very thoroughly convince me before I brought my family to a war zone. Yeah. Regardless of its stability. And so, uh, but there was, obviously then there was trouble. As a result of them trying to get out of the country, Frank's wife and son were killed. Right. Now, in Johnny Quest, they, there's a character called Ezekiel Rage, who's one of my favorite characters on that show. This is the real adventures of Johnny Quest. And this is, the character is actually voiced by um, 
uh, David Aykroyd, mm-hmm. who we had play Trumbo in uh, season one, episode six, Trumbo's World. Right. So it's kind of a weird connection. Yeah. But yeah, Ezekiel Rage's uh, character, his family was killed in a hot zone when he was trying to. He was a government agent, and when he tried to get them out, they were killed. And so he, his character of Ezekiel Rage is out for revenge right. against the government. So it's very similar to, it, to Frank Bonner. Yeah, it's, it's almost identical, except where Ezekiel Rage is out to like, create anarchy in destroying the government, he's, Frank is actually like a specific target. Yeah, he has a personal vendetta against Pete, and mm-hmm. he intends to basically return the, the favor of yeah. killing his, his wife and son. Well, and then Pete tries to, I guess not talk him down, but basically bring him into reality saying like, Hey, you brought your family there. When it got bad, you disappeared. And Frank says, well, I was in the field. It's like, yeah, you were in the field with the $800,000 that we gave you to buy intelligence so that we wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. And then Frank gives this delivery of like, what the hell are you talking about? You embezzled. And it's so genuine that it almost comes off as like, maybe you're wrong, Pete. Maybe it wasn't his fault. Yeah. And I... maybe this guy's family got killed because of someone else's screw up. Yeah, it, it was a very... No one ever gave me $800,000 to do anything yeah, with? I, I believed him. He delivered that line <laughs> totally wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so... You, you know, should have been like, what are you talking about? Or even go, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like... That's even too much. It's like, like I forgot about that. You're right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, and Pete basically says that his family died because they didn't have intelligence that Frank was supposed to buy. Yeah. And that he wasn't there to help them get away safely because Pete himself got hit during the attack and was right. out of commission. But uh, but Frank's not having any of it. He's completely convinced that it's because of Pete. So in the meantime, during this whole argument, uh, MacGyver has uh, swapped clothes with one of the goons. He, he, he put, like, some money on a life preserver. Yeah. And the goons all, money! <laughs> yeah. He just goes right after it. Yeah, again, alligators. Yeah. Like like this is like a this is literally a scene in Crocodile Dundee where she's like going into the water to fill up a canteen and that crocodile comes up and grabs her canteen and tries to pull into the water. Yeah, yeah. And here's this guy like splashing trying to reach oh, this, I'm gonna thing get this of money. money. Um and uh so MacGyver knocks him out and then takes his clothes and leaves him in a there. Because he under- just put all of his clothes on planks so that he could blow up the boat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's assaulted by a naked MacGyver. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with a piece of celery. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, in the case of a divorce, like, uh, a relationship is not always completely dissolved. But I feel like if you're planning revenge on a guy, killing is a, <laughs> capturing and killing his ex-wife isn't always, like, yeah. <laughs> the best possible revenge. Like, he didn't kill your ex-wife. Like, you're claiming he got your your wife and son killed, mm-hmm. not your estranged ex-wife and son. Yeah. Like, it, it feels like maybe you're you're going about your plan a little bit wrong. Yeah. Pete's actually just, like, trying to weigh the alimony payments. Yeah, he's just <laughs> like, well, I'm not on their insurance policy anymore, so that's that's going to hurt. Yeah. But... <laughs> do, I, do I have to still have to pay child support? He's he's graduated. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least I think he graduated. I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't go. I didn't go. <laughs> I assume. I got an invite somewhere. I got an invite, so I, I assume that he it went through. Meanwhile, MacGyver's outside. Uh, in He's mistaken for one of the other sentries in the clothes. Yeah. And so he uses that to get 
close enough to another one to knock him out and take control of this. Uh, I don't know what the purpose of this engine was. The out donkey there. engine. Yeah, but I don't know what it, what it was doing. I assume it would be used for fixing boats mm, or something like, like that. Yeah, dragging the boats out of the water. I don't know, or to operate a lathe or something like that. Mm. I don't know, but yeah. So he's he's got this donkey engine out there that he says it's got its name because it's as powerful as a mule. Which, if that's the case, I think it's misnamed. Yeah. Um, but then he uh, he basically goes to there. There's a a wall of the cabin that has been like reinforced with bars across the windows. Right. So that they can't, the, their prisoners can't escape. Right, yeah. They have a separate room that's more secure in the cabin. So there's bars on the window and like uh, the door itself can be locked. Yeah, and so he lodges like a metal pipe in between the bars of this window mm-hmm. and then connects it up to the engine so that he can fire it and start right. pulling stuff out. Uh, but uh, before he does that, and during this time, like Frank's getting ready to execute one of them. Right. Like, uh, I, I couldn't remember if, like, he, he's going to kill either Connie or Michael. Like, he's going to kill them both. Yeah. But I don't remember, he's, I can't remember which one he's going to do first because MacGyver sets off an explosion. Right. With a gas can. Classic MacGyver distraction bombs. Yeah. Uh, not so much of a MacGyverism because he literally just. Lit a gas blew. can on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and so when they all run out to see what's going on, they, they lock Pete, Connie, and Michael back up in their room to be secure. And that's when MacGyver yanks the entire wall off the side of the cabin. Yeah. And uh, and so he, he, he directs them out towards the, the tree line. He's like, you go out there, I'll distract him. So we see MacGyver disappear on the other side of the cabin. And Michael makes it to the trees, but Connie trips and falls, and Pete stops to help her. Which actually I thought was not on purpose until I realized, oh, they're trying to be like, they're slowing them down so that this guy can catch them and their son gets away. Yeah. And the son just doesn't care about his parents. <laughs> he mm-hmm. just runs off into the woods. But he, yeah. in his defense, he does try and come back to get right, them. And right. then MacGyver grabs him. And it's like, nope, we're yeah, staying yeah. out here for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just going to get yourself captured again. Yeah. Um, and uh, Which is good because Frank doesn't want to go through this without the son. Yeah. Like, he, he will if he has to, but he really... He needs all the ingredients for his revenge. Yeah, like, it won't be it won't be as satisfying. As cathartic, I guess, is the, right. the term. Um so, uh, Michael and MacGyver have like their moment, like, "Oh, I'm MacGyver, Michael, uh, you know, good to meet you. You like Pete?" Um, MacGyver kind of come, it tries to defend Pete a little, and the situation being what it was with classified information, and that basically defending Pete's honor, in the sense that, you know, it's like Michael's like, "Why couldn't he tell me? I know it was classified. Why couldn't he tell me?" He's like, because he took an oath. Pete lives by that oath. But it still feels like it's, it like, as much as, obviously, this has been such a simple communication issue Mm -hmm. between the two of them, and they really have no problem with each other beyond, like, you didn't come to my graduation and you never explained why. Mm -hmm. Like, that doesn't seem like enough reason for you to completely disown your father. Yeah, well, but also, Pete could have told him that I can't, I can't be there because I'm working on a classified assignment. Yeah. Like... I mean, sometimes even that is saying too much, but if mm-hmm. he's just like, there there are matters of national security that prevent me from telling you yeah. what you're asking. And I will tell you when I can, but I can't right now. Yeah, I mean... Why he, wouldn't you trust him if you'd spent your entire life trusting your father to that point? Exactly, and, and realizing that that's part of his job yeah. is keeping secrets, even from his family. Yeah. Especially from his family, because he doesn't want to put his family at risk. Right, and that worked. That worked real well. So, yeah, this kid, Michael, is 
Now with it. Although, <laughs> this this family uh, will not appear in any future episodes. Yeah, nor 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 I think will it ever even be mentioned. Yeah. Um, which is too bad. It's it's just a bizarre one-off when they do stuff like that, where they're just like, oh, MacGyver was a Vietnam vet. Uh, and it never comes up again. Yeah, <laughs> or, and, and, and he sailed around the world after right after high school. And, uh, yeah. He, and he's a physics professor. What? Yeah, there's so many things where it's just like they touch on it for a second, and they're like, that's not canon, though, so don't... Uh, this is the yeah, next yeah, episode, yeah. so this is a different universe. I wonder if they got divorced, Pete and Connie, because of Sister Margaret. His, his, like, <laughs> Interesting. His, his, his little lo- half love affair fling with Sister his, Margaret. His Christ tryst. Yeah. His know. holy trinity, <laughs> a love oh, trinity. No. It, was, it became a love trinity. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, so like mm, Michael and MacGyver now have to come up with a plan. Yeah. To take down, who we've now counted what? There's five guys working with Frank, so six six men total. So. Um, they start coming up with a concept to make some bombs out of swamp gas. Swamp methane. gas. Um, <laughs> there's a weird line from from Michael here where he says like, "Well, I know methane is flammable, but what if this doesn't work?" And it's like, "What? what? It, you said you know it's flammable. Like that means this will work because it's flammable. That's you, you just said that. You you admitted you knew what it was. Yeah. He's oh, like, so he, I know this is I know this chemical is flammable, but what if it doesn't burn though? But it will burn because, as you just explained, it's flammable. Mm-hmm. I don't understand your question. I'm more concerned with with their their the, their method of fusing the bombs because they just basically which is just yeah dirt clod like it's just, mud. It's mud, and then they put like a dry piece of grass, but it's gonna burn out once it hits that cold wet mud. It's not yeah. gonna burn through it. Yeah. Um. It seems like almost like you'd have to have let like, it dry completely. Exactly. Yeah. Like make a like a dried stop. Yeah. Um, well, maybe they do though, because it's nighttime by the time they're attacking. That's true. But they would have to like put it under intense heat to get it mm-hmm. right out. Uh, so it's night. The guards can't find him. They can't find Michael and Mac. Uh, and so Frank is just like, okay, that's it. We're we're gonna kill. We're gonna kill her. We're gonna or it, I think his initial plan was to use Pete and Connie as a means of luring them in. Like, look who I have. Blah blah blah, uh, come and get him. So while he's kind of like goading MacGyver and Michael to come, come get his, uh, come get them, uh, we just basically it's just gonna shoot Connie. Yeah. That, that that's Frank's plan. That's it. Shoot Connie, and the the henchman just is like really slow at getting ready to shoot her, and so Frank has to yell the order again. Shooter. Even though he's got a gun that he can uh, shoot her with himself yeah. and carry out the revenge firsthand. Yeah, and then Pete has this like this really awkward kind of thing where he looks back at Frank, looks at Connie, looks at Frank, and then just goes, "No!" And then and he then, gets knocked unconscious. Yeah, Frank just like. Well, he, he doesn't even knock him unconscious. He just knocks him to the ground. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. But if he had knocked him unconscious, then it's like, oh, well, you didn't even have to see your wife die. Like, I totally screwed this plan up. Yeah. I let your kid get away, and I killed your wife while you were asleep. <laughs> this this is not how my therapist said this should go. But so MacGyver throws the first javelin methane bomb, mm-hmm. which stabs into the ground and explodes. And then a guy inexplicably starts firing at where it had landed, even mm-hmm. though there's nothing there now. Yeah. And then 
uh, MacGyver throws a second one, and the guy tries to shoot it while it's still in the air, but it gets, I guess, within feet of him yeah, because yeah, it yeah. explodes and knocks the guy over and throws the gun out of his hand. Yeah. And that's when Frank goes, like, decides he's he's going to have to shoot Connie himself because his henchman just got taken out. Mm. And so he goes to step over Pete, and Pete grabs his legs and he yeah. trips. And so uh, MacGyver throws another one, and uh, it lands next to uh, one of the other henchmen who, like, dies out of the way, but it just goes out. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's a dud. And then MacGyver starts using it as like a bow staff mm-hmm. to fight the guy with. There's this professional guy with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> he beats him up with a bow staff. And as Frank starts to get up again, Pete and Frank now tussle, which is like freaking finally. I it's want an Pete awesome fight. fight. Yeah. I want Pete to fight more guys. Um, and it's cool that he's fighting like age appropriate guys. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like this is a fair fight. Yeah. Um, it's not like MacGyver. I, I honestly don't even think it's fair. I think Pete could destroy this guy. <laughs> Um, like, the whole fight between, like, MacGyver and, uh, Piedra, I was like, this guy's like a professional killer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this fight I, this fight I believe. Yeah. Um, and so, Pete knocks him down, and then Michael runs up and grabs Frank's gun, and just starts brandishing it at, uh, at Frank, and it's like, it's like, And, and it becomes, like, a replay of the, the end of the Assassin episode, where he's like, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, don't shoot. Mm-hmm. You've got so much to live for. You don't want to live with this guilt. Um, and yeah, they just basically talk him down. And he says, "Okay." It was. It wasn't hard. Yeah. It was like really easy for them to just go. Okay, here you go. Um, and then that's it. I mean, that's a, that's a for the main storyline. That's it. We get like this little fifth act closing of MacGyver having the whole family over for dinner. Yeah, he's cooking for the Thorns. Yeah, and Pete is saying like, "Oh, it's like, hey, you want to go see the Laker game tomorrow?" And then we could all get dinner, and she says, "No, you should. You two should get stay together." I I almost feel like there's some like still some resentment on her side. Yeah. Like no, you two. She's like no, no, this isn't grounds for us to get back together. This yeah, is, yeah, This yeah. is about you and your son. Like I I can't stand to be with you for more yeah. than ten minutes you at a time. Disgust me, Pete. <laughs> I know what you did with Sister Margaret. <laughs> I still I'm never gonna forgive you for what happened. I told you I abandoned her in the desert with 15 kids and a goat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, MacGyver comes over like he's preparing some kind of fish. Like, what does he call it? Black and red fish? Is it... Bl- I couldn't, is or it, red and black fish. It's one of those two. Yeah, I think... I, I, I couldn't tell if he was saying black and red fish or blackened. I th- Well, it's definitely blackened Yeah, because, by the end of the scene. Yeah, because he hooks it up to some kind of... Uh, Rigged up. Apparently, he, yeah, he doesn't have an oven, so he just has an, an oven that he built out of the leftover methane from the swamp. Yeah. And he just fires it up, and the whole thing basically catches on fire. Mm-hmm. But everyone sitting at the table already has a full plate of food in front of them. Yeah. And then MacGyver says, oh, I guess we're going to call out for burgers. And it's like, well, we could just eat the the entree that you made. And, and I want to know, where can you call out for burgers? I want to call out for burgers. If That's I could, true. I didn't know I, I feel have, like that was a thing, maybe. I want a burger delivery place. There really should be one. Like, if you could order in and out, mm-hmm. that'd be pretty cool. Well, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's like the kind of the button on the episode. And it's a pretty good episode, I think. It's It it, it sheds some light on Pete, at least for this episode. Yeah. Like, it's nothing that's going to carry over into anything else. Yeah. But it's like a, it's more of a Pete kind of centered adventure. And it's also an area that they haven't really covered on the show, like the whole bayou environment. Mm-hmm. It just reminds me of like live and let die, like yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Like 
they just touch on this whole area that somehow hasn't made it into a, an episode yet. Um, because so much of it is just like California desert yeah. and California desert. And I know it's shot here, but you can fake it for other things and they don't really yeah, a lot yeah. of the time. Like they, they don't go up into the mountains often. Yeah. Or to the I mean, not really since, yeah, the last time they went into the mountains was eagles. Yeah. And that might've been the first time they went into the mountains really. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff here that I feel like they, they could have taken advantage of. But we'll we'll see more of a variety in locales next season when they move up to Vancouver. Vancouver and yeah. they get like the Canadian landscape in there, which is nice. Yeah. I mean again, what's nice about Vancouver is like you have towns and cities, but you also have mountains and coasts and grassy plains and all you can it can be anywhere. It yeah. It can be anywhere within a couple of miles. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think this is a solid episode. Um I'm kind of surprised that they never brought Connie or Michael back. Do they have a different son later for Pete? I feel I, like the son character comes back. He might not even be Michael. Maybe he has another son. I actually don't remember uh, like him ever having another family issue. Yeah. Hey there, quick editor's note. I just wanted to make a quick correction to last week's show. The episode story was credited to John Coivula and represents John's entire IMDb page. I joked that he must have been writer Stephen Cronish's dentist or something, but it turns out, according to listener Mark Hagen, and I'll just quote him here, John Coivula, the story writer on this episode, is slash was a Caltech scientist who was the series' uncredited technical consultant. If the writers wanted to know if one of MacGyver's gimmicks would work, they called John Coivula. I would guess you're generally right that he pitched the story outline to the producers, and Stephen Cronish wrote the teleplay, but his day job was not as a dentist. So thanks for that factoid, Mark. We appreciate it. And I also wanted to take a quick moment for those of you who had asked on Facebook or Twitter to announce that the child I was suspecting would show up on the 4th went and showed up on the morning of the 5th. Of course, his name is Jack. Now back to the show. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up for Season 2, Episode 12, Family Matter. Um, if you'd like to chat with us about this or future episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast, and on our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And uh, if you're digging the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. And tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 2, Episode 13, Soft Touch, which is potentially the return of a character from the first season. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Or maybe just... A clone of the person from the first season <laughs> with the same name and a completely different background. mannerism and background, yeah. So um, stay tuned for that. And uh, and we'll also get another uh, first season favorite, uh, Penny Parker, yeah, returning, return of, returning return for duty. Penny. Yeah. So good to have uh, some familiar faces, even if maybe one of them is completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we'll get there. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you.